Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. As always, Thursday night's new content drops. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Download past shows, leave a review, subscribe. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter list. There you'll get entered into direct drawings for show merchandise. Whenever we get extras from publicists or record companies, we pass it along to you folks. Tonight's sponsor is Freedom X Hand Sanitizer. Hey, this product is made in the USA, so that's cool. Kills 99.9% of germs. It's odor-free, available in both foam and mist. We may be metalheads, but even we need a little extra protection out there. Tonight's show, I put together a cool one. It's sort of a reflection show from 2020. I went through all the interviews and I grabbed little sound bites from all of them to help demonstrate and get everyone up to speed on some of the old content we did this past year. We have a lot of new listeners and we appreciate that. And we have a lot of old listeners that may have not visited some of these. So I put it all together tonight, and we're going to revisit a lot of these different shows that we did. Now, a lot of times we're doing interviews with national recording acts, which is cool because, you know, it gives them a platform to promote their product. But sometimes I think outside the box, and I like to do other kinds of content-driven episodes. And this first chapter of episodes I'm going to highlight is dedicated to the history of Rochester, New York, and the metal connection that we have. Back in 1985, I was a senior in high school, and I was taking a two-year vocational class in radio and TV broadcasting. Me and a classmate, he goes by the name of Cheech, we pitched to the powers that be to allow us to host a Friday night metal show. Now, we... Got it approved, and the name of the show was Metal Mayhem. And with that show, we got to the point where we had a following, and we were able to actually uh, interview Metallica on the Master of Puppets tour stop when they came here opening for Ozzy. It's a great story, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So this first cut is a reunion show that we did last April. I had Cheech on the show. And we reminisced about the time that we did the Metal Mayhem show. And more importantly, that whole morning of meeting Metallica. So here's Cheech sharing his recollection of that morning at the Rochester Plaza, waiting for that Metallica tour bus to show up. I remember we, we went to, we were, you know, of course, we're anxious, anxious as hell. So we're early. We're 15, 20 minutes early. And I think they were 20, 30 minutes late. So yeah. <laughs> I can remember sitting in front of the hotel going, they're not coming. 
they, 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 you know, I, I got all this scenario going through my head. Yeah. They told us this, this hotel, but they're going to a different hotel. We've been, yeah. they're, they're screwing us, you know, cause I mean, you're, you're continually thinking this is Metallica. They're, they're, this isn't yeah. really actually happening. Sure enough, big old, big old tour bus pulls up and they roll out and it was like, Wow. Okay. Well, they, they, they drove in from Syracuse. They played Syracuse the night before. Right. Right. And but as soon as that tour bus came in, I can remember where I was like, they're here, they're here. It's, it's happening. This is happening. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. It was uh, pretty surreal. I mean, in, in a sense, it, it's funny that we're doing this because it's, it's thoughts and memories that I haven't brought to the surface in in years and years, but mm-hmm when you do it becomes vivid and and real and like it happened yesterday it's 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 kind of weird <laughs> there's cheech from the metal mayhem reunion show from last april reflecting on that morning that we had a chance to interview metallica uh it was 1985 1986 and you know we ran with it so our show was called metal mayhem now on the other side of rochester the big boys lived. There was a heavy metal show called Metallic Overdrive. Now, Metallic Overdrive, they started in the early 80s, and it was a promotional tool that the owners of the Lakeshore Record Exchange started as a means to, one, advertise their store, and two, get the music out that the, sh- that the store was uh, selling, and it was like the perfect storm. So these next two clips feature Ron Stein. He was one of the owners of the Lakeshore Record Exchange. It was a partnership, him and his wife, Jackie. You know, they, they, were metal, they, they weren't metalheads. They were retailers, but they designated their store to specialize in import heavy metal. You know, the new wave of British heavy metal that was coming over into the States in the early 80s. So, like, when I say it was the perfect storm, it was. So, Ron and Jackie Stein, they they started this record store, and they started this radio show, Metallic Overdrive. And then later on in their career in Rochester, they started promoting club-level shows at the local metal, the local heavy metal bar called the Penny Arcade. It was It was fantastic. So, here's Ron Stein talking about... It gets good, folks. Here's Ron Stein talking about the day that Metallica came into his store when they're in town recording Kill 'Em All. Here we are in the new location in the spring of 1983, and uh, so things are going good, and then uh, something else very notable happens. I get a call from uh, a gentleman who ran a studio down uh, in downtown Rochester called Music America Studio. Uh, down there, I think it was on East Avenue, uh, corner of Sio Street or somewhere in that area. He tells me his name is Paul Curcio. He's a record producer. He's just moved to Rochester. He uh, worked on the West Coast previously with the Doobie Brothers and some other bands on the West Coast. He is working uh, at Music America recording a, uh, a band from San Francisco called Metallica. He said uh, they're uh, into all the stuff that you guys are selling out there, and I'd like to... Uh, bring them out, and uh, they'd like to see the shop. That is what happened. Um, one day, Paul Curcio pulled up uh, across Lake Avenue with a van, and uh, out pops Metallica. And, so at this uh, point, um, <laughs> did you have any uh, 
communication with uh, Metallica's management, or is it just strictly Curcio as the producer and studio owner got in touch with you? At that point, just Curcio. Okay. Uh, you know, the first time they came in the shop, uh, Curcio brought them down, and uh, they came in, they looked around, uh, they pulled out a few records, uh, Cliff Burton and uh, Lars Ulrich pulled out some records, I think some Thin Lizzy albums, a couple of things out of the collectible bin, I think maybe like Sir Lord Baltimore or one of those uh, proto-metal kind of things that uh, we had in our collectible hard rock bin. You know, I, I said, you know, good to meet you guys. Uh, I'm glad you're here, glad you came out to see us. I said, you know, glad, you know, to help you guys out with some records. I know you guys are just starting out, so, uh, you know, uh, feel uh, it's my pleasure. You know, keep, keep the albums and uh, enjoy them and hope they, you know, uh, influence you guys a little bit or do, do some good. So and, at, this, uh, at this point, these, you know, Metallica, they're in their early 20s. They're just kids. 1,500 right. miles across the country in this uh, middle-sized America town doing the album. Besides right. coming to your shop and, you know, checking out a record store, did you have any other kind of involvement with them socially outside the record store, in the studio, anything like that? Now, I'm going to have to stop this cut right here because it's a three-part episode, three parts of the Lakeshore Record Exchange. And what you heard right there was a cut from episode two. And there's more to that episode where Ron goes ahead and talks about how he helped Metallica in the studio. And more importantly, how he helped the band make the first tour possible. So go to the Ron Stein trilogy at MetalMayhemROC.com and you could hear the rest of the story on that one. The last cut with Ron Stein, this is from episode three, and he's talking about, at this point, now they're promoting shows at the Penny Arcade, and back then, these were bands in their infant stages that, like he said, went on to become, you know, the big four. Anthrax played there at the beginning. Megadeth played with King Diamond on the Killing Is My Business tour. Slayer played there on Raining Blood with Overkill. You know, the, the bands go on and on. And I invite you again to go to the MetalMayhemROC.com website, and there's an entire picture gallery that goes along with this three-part story. It's fantastic. Photos from back in the day. You know, it's it's just fabulous. So here's Ron Stein partaking in a show segment called Mount Rushmore of Metal, and he's talking about some of the best shows he promoted at the Penny Arcade. Many have tried. Most have failed. Only a few survived. This is the Mount Rushmore of Metal. So about 20, 25 shows Ron and Jackie Stein promoted at the Penny Arcade. What's your Rushmore of shows, Ron? Well, number one has to be uh, Slayer with Overkill to open. Um, that one stands over and above the rest of them because that one sold out. And uh, as I said, we had people standing outside who could not get in for that show. And, uh, you know, I, it, again, you know, looking back on that, uh, you know, I mean, Slayer has been, uh, you know, one, one of you, you call them the top four. They've been one of the top four ever since that show, you know, uh, over 35 years ago. So, um, I mean, you know, uh, as I say, you, you never really understand the significance uh, of what you're doing a lot of times when you're doing it. 
It's mm-hmm. only in retrospect when you look at, you know, how things, you know, developed uh, and evolved after you did it that you uh, you can look at it and say, wow, we really did something there, you know. Uh, and even on Facebook, um, I've had probably a uh, hundred at least of my old Lakeshore customers find me on Facebook one by one. And they all say the same thing. They all say, you know, Ron, we have to thank you and Jackie for uh, everything you did for us during our teen years. You know, you you brought us these bands and we saw them in their infancy. Um, all the records that uh, we bought from you, Saturday night and Friday night, Metallic Overdrive was a was a weekly ritual for us. Uh, it it uh, influenced our our uh, taste in music. Uh, we have such great memories of our teen years because of all the things that you guys did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you, you just don't realize that stuff when it's happening. But you, you look back on it and say, "Wow, you know, I, we." We did something that it almost seems like it's legendary in the Rochester community now, the metal community. And, you know, we didn't think we were doing anything like that. We were just, you know, all the things we did with the store and the shows, we were flying by the seat of our pants. Just, you know, thinking, okay, well, what seems to be the the next right thing to do? Okay, we're being offered this band. We're selling their records. Let's do them, you know. Uh, So, you know. That's how great shit happens, Ron. That's how great shit happens. I, I guess so. So, again, that's Ron and Jackie Stein. They had the Lakeshore Record Exchange. Go to the website. Revisit this three-part series. It's, it's just fantastic. This next clip gets even better, folks. I did an interview with a guy called Andrew Robleski. Now, Andrew, he's from Rochester, New York. He was a 21-year-old audio engineer student working at Music America, which is the studio that Metallica recorded Kill 'Em All back in the spring of 1983. It just so happened that this was Andrew's first first gig, first assignment. And he became friends with Metallica. He drove them around. He helped them record the album. And I met up with him last fall. We did a special episode called Cliff Em All. It was on the week of the observance of Cliff's passing in late September. So here's Andrew Robleski talking about uh, hanging out with Metallica. Uh, Cliff Burton was a phenomenal guy. He was so fun. He, every time he saw me, he'd always go, Rage on, Andy man. <laughs> he always used to call me Andy man. And uh, it was, he was always like, Rage on, Andy man. How much, and he was a lot of fun. Uh, how much time did you have to spend with these guys outside the studio? <laughs> well, I, I I was usually the person who would pick them up from the house on Boardman and bring them to the studio. Uh, you know, I took them to the first time they went to Lakeshore Record Exchange. I took them there. But the best part of spending time with these guys uh, was um, one time Johnny Z was in town and it was a Wednesday night. And, you know, we kind of were wrapping up early because these guys slept in, you know, because we would drink all night. And um, that's where the whole nickname Alcoholica came from, by yeah. the way. Oh, sure. And, sure. and, and um, so we, um, Johnny's like, you know, what, what's there to do? And I said, oh, I said, on Wednesday nights, I usually go to East Rochester because it's 25 cent beer night. Where, PG's? So jo- uh, at, no, at, uh, I think it was called Miller's. It was right on Commercial Street on the main drag there. 
the main drag. Um, I live in East Rochester, so the main drag of uh, East Rochester used to go to Miller's on Wednesday night for quarter drafts. Yeah, and I forgot the it, it turned into another restaurant. But when you walked in, you could go up. The bar was right there, but then you could go up or you could go down. And so Johnny Z said, "Here's a hundred bucks." He gave me a hundred dollar bill. He goes, "Go have some fun." We piled into my Chevy Impala. And we went to Miller's and a few of my buddies from Penfield were there. And I gave the bartender the hundred and I said, don't stop. And we, we, we had a couple of beers. Wow. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So here. No, you know, what's awesome, John, is that I drove home, got them back home safely. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that I was, I didn't want to show our age, but that was back when, uh, you know, the cop made sure you got, you got home. Andrew Robleski, sound engineer for the Kill 'Em All session up here in Rochester with Metallica. A lot of these clips that I'm playing, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much packed in here, and that's part of why I'm sharing it with you tonight. I invite you to go to the website and dig some of these out. The last clip I'm going to play right now with concerning the uh, early days of Rochester, New York. This is Carl Kennedy. He's the drummer of the central New York metal band, The Rods. Now, The Rods, they gained national, if not worldwide, recognition. Three-piece band. David Rock Feinstein's in the band. He's the direct first cousins of Ronnie James Dio. And The Rods, you know, they played with these bands. They played with Maiden. They played with Priest. They did those European festivals. Well, here's Carl. He was on the show we were doing a promotional interview for the solo band Kennedy's Warrior release this past July. But I asked Carl to share a metal confession. And here's Carl talking about um, the late Randy Rhodes and Ozzy when they played together in 1981, I believe. Well, that being said, um, 40 years in uh, the metal world and rock and roll, uh, you have to have a metal confession you could share with us. Um, I have so many metal confessions that we could restart this interview <laughs> and it could be all metal confessions. Well, when we played the first show we opened for Ozzy with uh, Randy Rose, that was in the dressing room in Syracuse and we were in the dressing room warming up and Randy was several doors down, like way down the hallway from us. And all of a sudden, he fires up practicing, warming up. He must have had a full Marshall stack in there because literally we could not speak to each other. Our mouths would move. We couldn't hear a word we were saying. It was that loud. But at the time, you know, the, the, uh, the Blizzard of Oz album, he was now playing things that, you know, later we would hear Satriani play. And, you know, it was a, it was a whole different style of music all the modes and just wailing and the sweet picking and things he didn't play with ozzy things that were you know way ahead of what he was doing sure but sure. he he was playing it and he so you know we always think about like what would have happened if he had been he continued to record like what would he would have made some amazing amazing music because he played with such feel and that he had amazing technique so if you can as a songwriter if you have that kind of technique and also you're playing with feel and you can write it's wide open for you. So, but it was, it was amazing to hear that we were just kind of on 
in awe, not only at what he was playing, the fact that the guy was playing the freaking 120 decibels in his dressing room. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> well, that's great. That's good stuff. Carl Kennedy sharing some road stories with touring with Ozzy and the late Randy Rhodes. So again, folks, that first chapter is the history of Rochester, our connection to the, uh, the formative years of metal. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to hear from Freedom X hand sanitizer. And then the second half of the show, we're going to share some clips from the likes of Greg Renoff, Armored Saint, Mark Weiss, and more. We'll be right back. This is the Vernomatic on Metal Mayhem ROC. Attention metalheads. We all want to return to concert venues soon. Introducing Metal Mayhem ROC Metal Forever Freedom X Sanitizer. This sanitizer product is water and foam based, manufactured with proprietary HYIQ solution. That's right, no alcohol, but more effective. Manufactured following FDA sanitizer monograph guidelines. It applies smooth without irritating the skin. Safe for all ages. Keep your friends and family safe with Metal Mayhem ROC's own sanitizer. Visit Metal Mayhem MetalMayhemROC.com or MetalForever.com to order your bottles now. Use promo code METAL at the Freedom X checkout store for a show discount. Now, now back to Metal Mayhem ROC. So let's get into part two of this special. Besides talking to metal musicians, we also like to talk to metal heads. And one of the biggest metal heads is comedian Jim Florentine. He came to town about a year, year and a half ago, and we did an interview with him. And, you know, he's on Sirius XM Radio. He has his Metal Midget show. He has his touring comedy act. If you ever have a chance, go see him. He's a great dude. He'll meet and greet after the show, shoot the shit. Well, anyways, we asked Jim to share one of his metal confessions. And here's him sharing a story about when he uh, got mixed up with the Pantera guys on the road. So when I would go, I'd go in town. This is before that metal show is on the air. So I'd go in town. I always have to do lo- local radio. So I knew if there was a band in town, I would talk about them in the local morning show. And maybe they'd come out to the show. They would hear, hey, man, some comedian was talking about you. That's how I try to lure them to my show. So I'm at the like the comedy club in Dallas. And the, the, it's a Saturday night. And the, the club owner goes, hey, all the, the guys from Pantera are here. And I'm like. They are. He goes, yeah, they're sitting right in the front. There's like 12 of <laughs> no Like, holy shit. He's like, yeah, they're here to see you. I'm like, holy fuck, it worked. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, and then I look out there. I see all these cowboy hats. I see like 75 <laughs> drinks on the table. Yeah. Everyone's doing shots. Yeah. You know, yeah. fucking like, what the fuck is going and on? Know, I'm sure for like guy like you loving if there's freaking Pantera, that's when you probably get nervous, right? You're like, of oh, course. shit. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I'm like, forget, holy shit. forget the 200 people in the crowd. And they're sitting up front. And I know <laughs> Vinny and Dime like comedy because I, I know <laughs> that was the thing. Like uh, on their off days, they would go to the local comedy club. They yeah. love stand-up comedy. So I knew that about them. So they show up. It was Vinny, Dime, and uh, the, the new da- – you know, Phil obviously wasn't there. Yeah. And it was, and the new damage man, Pat was a singer mm-hmm. and uh, the yeah. bass player, I forget what his name was. Whatever. And then it was Rita and everybody. Yeah. So. So, you know, I get up there and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, hey, man, I got a guy from Pantera here, man. Give, give him a hand. I, you know, everyone in Texas loves them. They go crazy and yeah. Dime stand, they all stand up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Dime goes, here, man. And he hands me a shot, uh, like Jaeger, 
right? And I, I take the shot. I go, hey, I go, thanks, man, but I don't, I don't drink before the show. I'll drink it afterwards. And I put it on the stool on the stage, and the whole crowd starts booing me. <laughs> I go, no, man, I don't drink before. I, and, and then Don pours another one. He goes, hey, he hands me two shots. He goes, fuck that. You're doing a double now. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> and then I just did two shots in a row. I'm like, oh, shit. No, man. bets are off. I'm like, all right, man, if I do these two shots, can I, I got to do my show, too. He's <laughs> like, all right, fine, but you got to do them, too. And I did the two. The place went nuts. Jim Florentine, the dude's totally cool. You know, he's uh, really is a cool guy. So, again, if you have a chance to go see him, go see him live. This past July, we also had author Greg Renoff on the show. Now, Greg, Greg is the guy that wrote that book, Van Halen Rising. It's just a fantastic book, chronicles the history of Van Halen from basically when the the family got off the boat up until the beginning of the first tour. Well, in July, he released a new book. It was written with Ted Templeman, the producer of Van Halen, and uh, the guy that signed Van Halen did the first six albums. So here's here's uh, Greg talking about sharing a story about when he was at Ted's house, and well, just listen to it. This is this one's cool. What was the story behind Spanish Fly? Ed was at a party that Ted had, and he picked up a flamingo guitar. <laughs> Yeah, people go on my Twitter. Um, I have a picture of that guitar on my Twitter. It's kind of it's it was really kind of cool. I was at one of the first times I got to interview Ted. I went to his house and it was like this guitar was sitting in the corner, and I was like, "Huh?" I was like, "Hey, that's a, a cool Spanish guitar." He goes, "Oh yeah, that's the one that Ed played. You know, that's the one that Ed played." So Ted had bought a couple of guitars in Europe on his. Uh, on a trip he took to Europe in the early sixties. And, uh, yeah, it was sitting on, you know, sitting, leaning on the couch at Ed, uh, at Ted's house. And this would have been new year's Eve of 1978 to 79. And, uh, Ted asked Ed to play it and he goes, can you play those hammer ons with the tapping on acoustic too? And it goes, yeah, you know, like, why not? And he did it. And, Ted said he was just like, fuck, he's like, this guy, it's just incredible. It's yeah. just amazing. And he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do the uh, acoustic, you know, we'll do an acoustic solo for you on the next record. And they did that. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that was at, that was uh, at Ted's house. He was, uh, he was, yeah, it was, it was weird. And, you know, I picked it up and held the guitar and one of the strings is broken. And I said to Ted said to me, he goes, it's probably the same set of strings. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, I never, cause it was just like something he just kept around the house. He didn't play it. Right. You know, it's just like, it was like a thing. He just kept around. It's like, yeah. that's probably the same set of strings. So I like touched them to have a little bit of the Ed Van Halen mojo and then like, didn't touch it anymore. You know, I didn't want to, you don't want to, you want to break another string or something like that. So I didn't play it, but it was like, it was cool. There's Greg Renoff sharing a story about him at Ted Templeman's house and the guitar that Eddie Van Halen played Spanish fly on. Go back to the archives, July 2020. You'll find that show. Okay, the next one we have up is Mark Weiss. He's a heavy metal and rock and roll photographer. He's been in the business for years. Well, this past summer, he released a new coffee table book called uh, The Decade That Rocked, 1980 through 1990. It's one of those 400-page thick coffee books, glossy pictures. It's fantastic. Well, we had uh, we had Mark on the show, and he was just telling stories about all the iconic album covers that he took, and all those pictures that we used to look at when we grew up, looking at you know Circus Magazine, Hit Parade, or Kerrang, all those publications. So here's Mark sharing a story about him and Nikki Six and Tommy Lee. Pretty awesome. What about like uh, people like Nikki Six? Um, he seemed to be so hands on. Was there ever, ever a time when 
you know, when you're shooting Motley Crue and the vision that he had for that band was just uh, astounding. Um, yeah, he like the gangster shoot that we did, you know, that was all him. He told me what he wanted uh, for the theater of pain. You know, we did some straight photos around some different sets. He wanted it to be different. Uh, that's when they went, you know, really glam uh 85 i believe and he wanted this gangster out shoot so uh they all got we all got him uh tommy guns and we we got a rolls old rolls royce from one of the movies back from uh one of the gangster movies i think they used it and i got a backdrop and smoke and the whole it was a big production and it ended up being in the tour book and posters and all this and that so yeah he's pretty visionary uh but when you said he, he was hands-on, uh, I was t- I'll tell you a story that when I first went on tour with them, when I was with Ozzy, they opened up. I I knew them. I, I shot them in 82 for Wii Magazine with the Naked Women and Motorcycles. And that's how we first met on that shoot. So we kind of became friends pretty quick. And then in 83, they played the Us Festival, which I was at, and I shot them there. And then when they went on tour with Ozzy, I was shooting Ozzy. And, uh, of course, they were, you know, they were... I was shooting them on theaters, but now they're in opening for Ozzy and arenas. So uh, they asked me if I, Nikki asked me if I wanted to go on their bus, you know, for a few shows. And I said, sure, why not? I asked, you know, I asked Sharon and she said, yeah, duh, fun. And so as he was uh, getting on the bus, you know, Tommy Lee was on in the driver's side and he kind of put his foot down and he wouldn't let me go by. He like stopped me. And then, and then Nikki kind of grabbed me and started biting my leg. And he's like, draw blood. I'm like, what do you mean draw blood? He goes, draw blood. And I didn't know what he was talking about. So he wanted me to bite him back basically until he (laughs) bled. So, so this went on for a while. And meanwhile, Tommy's drinking the Jack Daniels and sooner, sooner, you know, soon enough, like I, they started pouring down the Jack down my throat. Cause I started getting, I was in pain, you know? And then I got, I got enough Jack in me where I had the balls to bite him back. And I did and drew blood and they let me in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the Motley Crue writer passage. Then. Blood brothers. Well, um... Yeah. So, so I, I wasn't the only victim. I hear that it was, uh, it was a ritual whenever they had a new visitor. I guess it's the way they show that they they liked you. <laughs> the wise guy, you know, uh, th- that's an awesome story. And you know, Motley Crue, those guys are nuts. Back in the day, they were just crazy. So uh, again, that book is the decade that rocked. It's a fantastic book. It, they sent me a PDF, and I was flipping through it, the digital. So you know, check that out. Go to the website. Check out uh, that episode. The next clip, my co-host and metal brother, Metal Forever Mark, he did an interview with Michael Sweet of Striper. Michael was on the on the show promoting the new album, the new Striper album, Goddamn Evil. Cool guy, great stories. Mark asked Michael his interpretation of the term hair metal, and this is what Michael Sweet had to say about it. This one, uh, Vernomatic and I, we, we talked about this on our show the other day, and I'm not a musician, and I've tried to play Striper songs on guitar, and I, I, I can't even try, <laughs> so I give up on that. But anyway, this tag, and I guess this even ties into, um, like even like that track, Honestly, that was one of your first 
big hits. And I know you mentioned the high, uh, you know, vibrato and people thinking you might even be a female singer at first. And then, you know, in conjunction with that, being known for a ballad, but also this hair metal tag that gets thrown out there that, you know, I know it's, you know, the style and the look that happened way back in the 80s when bands like Striper were, you know, first around. But what, what, is, you, what is your opinion on that tag? Does it frustrate you? Does it irritate you? You just kind of accept it for what it is? Because I think it kind of cheapens your musicianship and the music, in my view, but you're the musician. It so <laughs> It really know. does. Because when I think of hair, hair bands, I think of poison. And that's not the slam poison, but we're nothing like poison in, in any way, shape, or form. So when we get tagged hair band, um, it, it's definitely disconcerting. It, 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 it's, it's not an accurate description of the band, I don't think. Uh, we're, we're a hard rock metal band. Yeah, it just so happens that we had a lot of hair and, and the hair kept getting higher. And like any other band from that era, I mean, at one point, uh, Guns N' Roses was a hair band. You know, let's be real. I mean, every band from that era at some point was a hair band, except the guys that didn't have hair. And, uh, um, you know, it, it just and then the clothing, too. It was all about the the clothing and the costumes. And Ray Brown uh, was the guy that made them for most bands, White Snake, Bon Jovi, you name it. And, you know, we, I don't want to say we got caught up in that, but we were part of that, that, that era. And uh, with that comes labels. And then you add to that the Christian label. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought it was very funny and very odd to label music or a band Christian just because they sing about Christ. Because, you know, all the bands that sing about Satan aren't labeled satanic bands. They're just labeled metal bands. Slayer, who would pick any band that has pentagrams and sings about the devil, and they're not called. Uh, yeah, so what does it feel like to be a satanic band? It's, but with Striper, because we sing about Jesus, like what does it feel like to be a Christian band? And that tag is always thrown around so loosely, and um, I've never liked it. I feel that it limits what we do and continues to do so. And I've also said many times, and I'll say it again, uh, the limitations are uh, wide and, you know, there are many. And um, it, it's like when I walk in a store when our album comes out and you go into a store that still sells hard copies and you say, yeah, I'm looking for the new Striper album. And the guy points to the back corner of the store and says, oh, it's back there under the Christian section. And then I'm standing there. I'm standing there looking at the new Judas Priest album at the front of the store on display. That's what I'm talking about with limitations and labeling. You know, and, yeah, all the above. Yeah, we're a metal band. Yeah. We're a metal band, and we should be at the front of the store uh, in, under the same display as Judas Priest. Why? Why shouldn't we? Guy has a point. You know, um, he has a couple points. Back in the day, in those '80s. Everyone had the big hair. Ozzy, remember, he looked like the girl from the Golden Girls. Axel in that Welcome to the Jungle video, his hair was to the sky. So, you know, what are you going to do? But that's uh, Michael Sweet, Striper. This next clip is Mark with Don Dockin. Don was on the show promoting the Lost Songs CD release. It was a collection of songs from, like the title says, the Lost Songs. Guess it was a all this material he found while moving that he misplaced that he was looking for for years, found it, touched it up and released it. 
So here's Mark talking with Don about some bands that he would um, like to tour with again, or as Mount Rushmore of bands that he's toured with. By the way, Don, uh, we had one little segment. We just figured since we're already kind of talking like this to uh, throw in, it's called our Mount Rushmore. Many have tried. Most have failed. Only a few survived. This is the Mount Rushmore of metal. Yeah, so Don, do you have four bands that you just love touring with or that you'd tour them any any moment, anywhere, any day if they asked you to go on the road with them or vice versa? The the answer to that is who haven't we toured with? <laughs> yeah. You know, we've toured with ACDC, Judas Priest, Van Halen, Scorpions, Metallica, Sammy Hanger's Red Rockers before he was in Van Halen, um, Ted Nugent. You know, we've toured with everybody. So to say, who would you like to tour again with? You know, if I wanted to do a tour of my favorite bands I've already toured with, I would say Aerosmith. That was a great tour. Permanent Vacation, Aerosmith Dawkins. That was an amazing tour we did. Sold out every night. We all got along great. I remember my son was born. Uh, how I remember that, 1988. We did that tour, and my son was born on the Aerosmith tour. And I was talking to Steven Tyler one night. I said, oh, his mother just called me, and I guess I'm a father, and he's a boy, and I don't know what to name him. And, and she said, oh, John. And I said, oh, not John, not a, nah, not a biblical name. And I said, hey, how about Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Steve, would you mind if I just named him Tyler? You know, just kind of was sitting here shooting the shit. And he goes, yeah, that's cool. And I see, goes, you know, I said, if anything happens to me, will you kind of look after him? And he said, yeah. So my son's name is Tyler. It's sort of cool. Don Dockin, Steven Tyler have that connection forever. Don Dockin, you know, he was a cool guy. Always um, extended a branch to Metal Mayhem. You know, we've promoted a few of his shows. Mark has, my partner Mark has a long history with him. So that's Don Dockin from this past fall. All right, the next clip we have on here, it's uh, Reb Beach. Now, Reb is the original, one of the founding members of Winger. But more importantly, he's uh, a working musician. He's been in Whitesnake for about the last 16, 17 years. He's played, he filled in with Dokken on some of those tours in the last 10 years. He actually wrote an album with Dokken. And he's also been a studio musician for so many artists that you would never even believe if you ever uh, have some time just google reb beach and it's amazing well here's reb talking about one of his metal confessions that i guarantee in a million years he would never believe this this is reb beach on metal mayhem roc 2020 flashback edition um metal confession is there a history of playing a gig that at first when you got it, you thought, oh, ho-hum, this is just, you know, a payday. But then after the after it gets done, you really pulled something out of it and you learned something and it's one of your more memorable gigs. It's Just looking at this list, the stuff you've been doing, it's just fantastic. So, well, yeah, no, I mean, some, I, you know, I could say the VGs for sure because I went in just thinking it would be a session. I didn't know that I would meet all the VGs. And I didn't know that they would all smoke marijuana and that they would stand around me and sing a cappella 
the parts that they wanted me to hear. So there was weed all over the studio. They put me up at the Doral. It was the Doral in Miami on the beach and um, hung out at their amazing studio and just weed smoke everywhere, bags of weed everywhere. And they came down and got in a circle around me and said, uh, do you know what, mate? We want you to hear this part, but it's not on the tape yet. So do you mind if we just sing it for you? And I was like, yeah, great. You know, and they just, you know, stood around. Oh, here we go, mates. And it was like, you know, and I was like, wow, it was the Bee Gees are standing around me. And I think I'm stoned because of the smoke that is, uh, you know, permeating my nostrils. It was really, really a great experience. Did they have satin shirts on and look like they walk off the set of Saturday Night Fever? <laughs> no, but they did look cool. You know, it was like, you know, white, uh, <laughs> white uh, bell bottoms and, you know, just a cool button down shirt. They were just chilling, man. <laughs> that uh, that interview was cool because Reb shared a lot of little anecdotes like that. And it was just as I'm doing the interview talking with him and he's sharing, like I said, a lot of these anecdotes, it's my mind is racing. I'm like, no way. How the hell can you be involved with someone like that? And you're quote a rock star, but Hey, it's a payday. So uh, the next clip is Sean Peck of death dealer. The band released a new album in, in the fall called Concord lands. It's their third or fourth album. Now, Sean Peck, uh, if you're not familiar with them, He's one of those um, power metal singers. He's part of the Three Tremors, another version of the Three T- Tremors. And he also worked with a, a million side projects. But a few years ago, he did a couple albums and tour with Michael Denner and Hank Sherman of Merciful Fate fame. So I had a chance to ask him about the about that situation, and this is what he had to say. We're talking with Sean Peck, lead singer of Death Dealer. Visionary. I'm a metal visionary. Metal visionary. (laughs) Um, Sean, I want to quickly touch. I'm an old school metalhead and Merciful Fate. I I, I love the two uh, releases you have, the Satan's Tomb and Masters of Evil with Denner and Sherman. I don't really want to go too deep into this rabbit hole with Merciful Fate. Let's go deep. Let's go deep into it. Is there a chance? Are those guys talking at all, or is this this is R.I.P.? There's no way that there would be a three. I don't want to brag or anything, but did we not capture the mad, the merciful fate magic in those two in that EP and that and that album? I mean, that those songs, besides the vocals, sounded like Merciful Fate, didn't they? Oh, they did. It was it was 1984 all over again. And, um, and and people loved him, and and then we were, you know, we we only played I think six or seven shows together, but by like the last two festivals we played, you know, we got off that stage and we were just like, oh yeah, we just kicked ass. Like we finally were getting to be like a good live band. Yeah, you know, at first it was a little rough, um, for a variety of reasons, but by the last two, man, we freaking annihilate. Last three, we like annihilated it, and I'm like, oh man, this is you know. We're going to kill it. I remember we, you know, we played right before Ghost played on the inside tent stage. And we just had, we had more people than Ghost had when they were watching them. I was like, dude, we got something going on. Sean Peck talking about the Hank Sherman, Michael Denner stuff. Again, cool interview. Uh, Death Dealer is Sean Peck and it's Ross the Boss's one of his side bands. So check that interview out. 
The next one we have is uh, John Bush, Armored Saint. Great new album this fall, Punch in the Sky. John Bush, he's always been a stand-up guy. I met him years ago when he was in town with Anthrax, and he was cool. And then when the new album came out, I immediately reached out, and I wanted to get him on the show. And he was he was more than generous with his time and just a great guy. This is him commenting on the longevity of Armored Saint. That simple. John Bush, Metal Mayhem ROC. Back when you guys were starting all this, back in the early 80s, did you ever think, fuck, I'm going to be doing this until I'm almost 60 years old? You know, I probably didn't think about it, uh, you know, and certainly in my 20s, I would think that probably if I met the John Bush today that I did when I was like 83, I'd be like, dude, you're old, get out of here. When I was like 21 years old, I probably didn't get, even though, even though, even then, we certainly admired and were inspired by our elders, if you will, and they weren't even elders at that point, you know, guys like (laughs) The maidens, the the motorheads, the UFOs—they were probably—they only have like probably ten years on us, give or take, you know, really. But I mean, they were—they were the bands that inspired us, and and they were young at that point, but they were still the older bands that we looked to, you know, Zeppelins, the Sabbaths, whatever. So, you know, I I don't think that I, I'm sure I probably with the bravado I had as a as a 21, 22 year old guy. I probably didn't think about it. You know, I do think that in our, in our minds, we always thought it was, we wanted to have longevity, you know, not to, not to be redundant on that, but I think that was important to us to stick around for a long time, to be around for a long time. But I don't think we really understood what that meant. I think that was kind of something that we thought about, but I don't think we understood it. And here we are all these years later, really still doing that. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's a pretty awesome accomplishment and I'm really proud of us. He should be proud because that band has always kicked ass. They're one of those bands that have always done it on their terms, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. So this next clip, this is Metal Forever Mark talking with Brian Wheat of Tesla. Brian just released a new book late 2020 called Son of a Milkman, His Crazy Life in Tesla. Brian was on the show for a while uh, we covered tons and tons of subjects, but here's Metal Forever Mark asking Brian about the history of when Jeff Keith joined the band. But a follow-up to that is um, back to Jeff Keith for a minute. Like he has a really, really unique voice, and I think back in the day, I, I thought I heard a rumor that you know, like Jeff was just like a like a truck driver, and he, he really was. wasn't a vo- he wasn't really a vocalist. And then somebody heard him sing one day in the in the truck. But I think you had mentioned in your book that maybe it was a karaoke performance. Like, how was it that you guys decided, like, wow, this guy is kind of unique? And then did you have to write songs around his unique voice? Or was it like no, you just were writing no. a whole bunch of songs and he fit the songs? How did that all fit when it came to him as a vocalist? So we had another singer called Jeff Harper. And he was quitting. And we knew these girls that, that were fans of the band. They said, we know some kid up in... Georgetown, California, where they all lived, that sings. He's got a little band up there called Troubleshooter. We said, well, have him come down. So he came down, and he had he sang with us that night. Ironically enough, I couldn't hear him, and I didn't think he was very good, but Frank could. And Frank's the one that said, no, he's, he's, he's the guy, Brian. Trust me, he can sing. He's got a great voice. So now getting to the backstory of this, Jeff had won a contest 
a few months earlier in Sacramento where you came in and you put a Walkman on with the song, you know, playing in the cassette. And you sang to the crowd, but all they heard was you singing. They didn't hear the music, right? Just, just alfalfa, we don't need you singing. Okay. It's my Jack, one of my Jack Russell Terriers. Um, so he had won this contest. But what Jeff did for a a job was he put in septic tanks. He drove a truck installing septic tanks. And that was his job. And I think, you know, when they wrote that bio or whatever on the first album, Tom Zutat wrote that bio. Uh, he put cement truck because it was a bit more glamorized, you know. Wow. So that story was true then. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he drove a truck, but it wasn't a cement truck. It was yeah. a septic tank truck. Metal Forever Mark with Brian Weed of Tesla. So that was a cool interview. All these interviews are cool. They they really are. It's just I'm I'm extracting some little tidbits from each one just to illustrate the direction we're going here. This is the last clip I have queued up, and this is John Gallagher of Raven. Raven's one of those old-school thrash bands. They're part of that new wave of British heavy metal. 2020 saw the release of their Metal City release. Typical Raven, kick-ass, three-piece band from, um, from England, UK, working class. So here's um, a listener question. Uh, listen, John, I have a, um, a, a question from a listener on one of our Twitter feeds. From the Cranker in San Diego, California, he asks, have John elaborate on the Old Bridge Metal Militia from Old Bridge, New Jersey. Uh, what's the story behind that? Behind those guys? Well, they were a, a bunch of uh, miscreants and ne'er-do-wells who loved the heavy metal and Believe it or not, they're still out there. I think most these days they do uh, little charitable things here and there. But a great bunch of guys, and actually a couple of them ended up as roadies on the Kill em All for One tour when we went out and had Metallica open up for us. Bulldozer, Bob, and Reb were on the entire tour until they actually got fired three quarters of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it always cracks me up because I edited this. I edited that clip down, but John literally lasts for about fifteen seconds. So, so there you have have it, folks. That's just a sample of what we have back in the archives from twenty twenty. On there, what I didn't play was cuts from the Spirit Adrift interview, Hyrax, an old school thrash band crossover band from the early eighties, Anvil. Metal Mike of Helford, Metal Forever Mark's good friends with him. He stopped in and was talking about the Rob Helford solo days and what the Metal Mike band is up to. Uh, L.A. Guns, um, you know, it goes on and on. And this Christmas time, I put together these two packages, these two episodes that are fantastic. One was from a Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent. We call him Metal Walt. Well, Metal, Metal Walt's been bootlegging audio concerts for the last 30 years. He was on the show telling us about how he got into that and also this, these amazing stories about on the road, getting into shows with 
um, creative all access passes that he fabricated. And, you know, it's just a, it's a cool episode. And on New Year's Eve, we had this show from a guy. He released a book called A Die Hard's Journey in Rock and Roll. Dean DiLorenzo is his name. And Dean released this book chronicling 30 plus years of meeting rock stars in his hometown and vicinity of Albany, New York. It's truly fascinating. And Dean provided me with several CDs of the pictures in the book. So I'm going to be giving those away to people that sign up for our newsletter over at the website. All you really have to do is just go to mentalmayhemroc.com, sign up for the weekly newsletter, and I'm going to draw five lucky winners for next week's show, and I'll send you a copy of the CD of the pictures from the Dean DiLorenzo book, A Journey in Rock and Roll. So that's tonight's show. Next week, uh, I have a lot of stuff planned for the next couple weeks. We have a two-parter with Andrew Bennett. He's the author that just released that brand-new Van Halen book last summer called Eruption in the Canyon. Now, this guy spent a couple uh, couple years videotaping, chronicling Eddie Van Halen in the studio. It's just fantastic. Uh, we have Vinny Apice with Black Sabbath, Last in Line. He's in a few weeks commenting on the release of the deluxe version of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. And, you know, we're always uh, working to get product out to you. So enjoy the show. Go to the website. Discover some of these past episodes, leave a review, subscribe, all that, uh, all that stuff. For my co-host, Metal Forever Mark, I'm the Vernomatic. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll see you online. Oh, and always remember, keep it heavy. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE TV Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.